Hello, Knox friends. This is the sermon for June the 28th. And if you are watching the service for today in individual parts and have not yet listened to the welcome message, I invite you before listening to the sermon to go back and listen to that welcome. It provides some important context for the sermon and then to return to this message. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, your love, your justice, your hope. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past week, I had an experience that was both joyful and discouraging at the same time. On Wednesday, my oldest son, a rising second grader, played in his very first Little League baseball game. The whole family got in the car and went to watch. He had his glove and he was dressed in his new uniform. It was one of those moments in parenting that you know you will never forget. We arrived at Withrow High School. We parked in the parking lot and we walked toward the baseball diamond and that's when I saw it. My son joined his baseball team in one dugout and the opposing team was in the other dugout. To a person, 100% of my son's team was white and every child on the other team was black. There was no open animosity on the field that evening. Both teams were well-coached, the kids were good sports and they had fun. The parents of both teams were kind and encouraging. But one of the facts about racism is that we are not born with it. Racism is something that we learn, and we learn it early. In a previous sermon, I have told stories from my own childhood about the ways that I learned racism even as a very young boy. And I can't even remember how I learned it. So back on Wednesday, I could not help but think about the message that my son and all of the children on that field were getting when the black kids played on one team and the white kids played on another team. Racial divisions, of course, do not end with little league teams. And those simple divisions are signs of greater realities. Those baseball teams looked like most of our neighborhoods, and most of our schools, and most of our churches. And in most cases, those divisions are not simply about skin color. They are divisions along lines of race that determine how we experience healthcare, and education, and neighborhood resources, and financial mobility, and policing. The Reverend Jim Wallace is an evangelical Christian pastor, and he's one of the most trusted voices in our country when it comes to speaking to a broad audience on matters of justice. Wallace says that confronting racism in our country means listening to Jesus' words in John 8, where he says to his disciples, if you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Wallace says that the struggle for racial equity means asking if it is true that white people and people of color often have different experiences of what it is like to live in America. He says that Christian people need to talk about the truth behind that claim. Racism is hard to talk about. We don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about it. I wish I had not been confronted by racism at my son's first baseball game. But I also know that I don't want my children to grow up in a world that is so divided. And the good news is that I sense more and more of us are feeling that way. We wish to confront the truths behind our divided culture. As a church, we are already making genuine commitments to build relationships with communities of color. We've been doing this for some time. Our session is encouraging us to think about the nature of our mission relationships, to ask why our efforts to fight poverty and child hunger and homelessness mostly involve communities of color. The session wants us to ask how our church is showing up in those relationships. And last year, Knox joined the Matthew 25 movement of the Presbyterian Church. This is a nationwide movement committed to three objectives, building congregational vitality, eradicating systemic poverty, and dismantling structural racism. It's that last term I mentioned, structural racism, that I wish to speak to you about this morning. Structural racism is a term that may be new to you. I know that I only started to hear about it three years or so ago. The idea of structural racism acknowledges that racism is not just about personal feelings. It is about structures and institutions. Many of us do not mean to be racist. Many of us who are white do not intend harm toward people of color. We would love to live in a world where there is no racism. But even those of us with the very best of intentions still participate in racial injustice in ways that are subtle and insidious. The growing awareness of structural racism is why we're seeing new commitments to fight racism among many government policymakers and major corporations as well as increasingly diverse groups of protesters. The church needs to be part of this conversation. The church needs to be part of this conversation. This morning, the session of Knox has asked me to tell you a specific story of structural racism that comes from the history of our congregation. About 100 years ago, when we moved to the corner of Observatory in Michigan and raised money to build a new church building, Knox Presbyterian Church received a significant bequest that helped pay for the building. The gift amounted to about 7% of the building costs, and in today's dollars would amount to somewhere around $250,000. The provisions of the bequest stated clearly that the money was to go to a church of the Presbyterian denomination and that it was to be for white people only. 
The provisions of the bequest stated clearly that the money was to go to a church of the Presbyterian denomination and that it was to be for white people only. I imagine that statement of our history is new and surprising to many of you, and I want to invite you to take a moment to allow it to sink in. Perhaps you wish to stop the video and pray about it for a few moments before we continue. There is no evidence we can find that the acceptance of this gift received any kind of public conversation in the church. So that is to say that we do not know if the church's leadership approved of this and agreed. We do not know if they disagreed but intended to take the gift and then disregard the racist provision. We do not know if they discussed it at all. What we know is that our church's trustees knew the terms of the agreement and they accepted the money. We also know that at various times in the last hundred years, this story has resurfaced in the life of our church. I know that some of you have heard parts of the story before. And from what I can tell, the reaction has usually been the same. We say things like, thank God that that is no longer who we are as a church, if the same thing happened today, I'm sure we would never take the money. Now that reaction, that sentiment, may very well be true. But this story needs to be told because it shows the very essence of structural racism. We may have changed our hearts and do not believe in the same racist things people thought in the past, but the reality is that we took the money. 100 years later, we continue to benefit from the property that was built with that money and the way that its value has grown over time. And in a capitalist economy where having wealth allows for the accumulation of more wealth, we know that the benefits of a gift like this keep on growing. And we could not have accepted the money in the first place except that we were white. Take a deep breath and let it out. This is structural racism. This is structural racism. This is how it works. And it's a very important part of understanding this story to say that it is not a unique story at all. Every institution in our country, from churches and schools and governments to the laws and policies that govern them, are filled with countless decisions like the ones that we made a hundred years ago. Decisions like these go all the way back to when we promised freed slaves 40 acres and a mule and never delivered on that promise. And the cumulative effect of all of those decisions, these are the structural realities that lead to neighborhoods and schools and healthcare systems and justice systems that are not equal. Systems that concentrate the wealth and power of our country mostly in the hands of white people. It is often no longer intentional, our racism, 
but it is deeply structural. The good news. The good news is that there are things we can do about structural racism. Instead of just looking back at how all of these things got started so long ago and saying, ain't it a shame, we can choose to actively change the policies and practices of our institutions. The session of Knox Presbyterian Church is in unanimous agreement that this story from our history is one we needed to share. The session is also in unanimous agreement that the purpose of telling the story is not to make white people feel guilty about being white, because that doesn't accomplish anything. The reason to tell the story is because we want to know the truth and to have the truth set us free. My friends, we are flawed human beings, all of us. In countless ways, our lives are marked by being caught in patterns of sin as we struggle to be the good people God created us to be. God does not want us to be stuck where we are. Christians believe in repentance, which means that when we honestly acknowledge the ways that we have fallen short of God's hope for us, we ask for forgiveness so that we can turn our lives around. Through God's grace, we recommit ourselves to love and justice. We allow the truth to set us free. I know that within our large church community, we are in different places when it comes to talking about racism. In the days to come, we're going to try very hard to respect that. Some among you may be shocked by the story that I told today, or perhaps you were shocked by the recent stories of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Perhaps you haven't thought much about racism in recent years and are not sure that these issues are as pervasive as people are saying. We hope that you will be open to this conversation and curious enough to listen and that you will trust our church's leadership as we explore together and hear one another. Others of you may have known some of the realities of structural racism for a long time, and in recent days you have been convinced that you need to go deeper and learn more. And I know that still others among you are tired of reading and talking and that you hunger for your church to act. You want to know what we will say and do collectively as we come to terms with the history of our church and look forward to a better future for our communities. And finally, I know that some of you are part of racially diverse families and you know from your own personal experience the realities of which I've been speaking. We are glad that you are part of our church family and we value your experience. There is room for all of us at the table. Room for all of us. And here's how we will work together in the days ahead. In today's worship, there is an invitation for you to share your name and your email or a phone number if you prefer, and to tell us that you are willing to participate in an upcoming discussion to respond to today's sermon and story 
and explore what Knox is going to do next? How are we going to listen and learn and act together so that we can grow together? If you give us your name by Tuesday, we will send you an invitation to a conversation by Friday. The conversations will be virtual or distanced, and the content of those conversations will inform the next meeting of your session when we gather later in July. Please join us to talk. We also want you to pray. The prayer tree mentioned at several points in today's worship is present today at the Observatory Avenue entrance to our church. Come and tie on a ribbon and join us in prayers of lament and solidarity. Prayer is where we begin the work of telling the truth about what we are feeling. God has a vision of how we should live together. It's voiced in today's lesson in the book of Isaiah. The Lord says, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is God's vision for us. We can participate in it. It is a vision where we become part of the good and redeeming work of Jesus Christ, who shows us the truth so that the truth can set us free. Dr. King once said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have four little children of my own. As a father, what will the content of my character be in the days to come? How will I teach it to them? And what will our character be as a church together? May the truth set us free. Amen.